stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Vettel wins the broken steering wheel, New Garden dominates Ohio, and Lucas Degrassi steals your trophy. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> Tabwemi or not Tabwemi? That is the question. Welcome to episode 97 of Motorsport 101. I'm your host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And with me, as always, is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, bienvenue, my friend. Yes, oh my god. This weekend was an experience. It, it probably, maybe it would have been less, like, gut-wrenching on TV. <laughs> Probably would have been in hindsight, but uh, because King is speaking to you live from Montreal as you listen to this, and on the final day of his five-day holiday up there, to be fair, he was rededicated. He brought a microphone up and everything, so he, he knew he knew what was coming. I thought he was coming home today, so clearly I have I know nothing about organization. Then again, <laughs> I kind of already knew that already. To be fair, I'm really good at running bookies. I'm terrible at organizing podcasts. You know, you, t- you take one with one hand and then you, you give away with the other. Uh, but, um, yeah, let's, let's get that out of the way, King. How was Montreal? Or how is Montreal, given you're still over there for one more night? It is fantastic. Like, the place I'm staying was literally about five minutes away from where I watched the race from. And pretty much out the out my front door, I could see, I could see the racetrack. That sounds pretty great, to be fair. I'm like... That's, that's, there's, there's Airbnbs and then there's that. Like, <laughs> I can stay at a racetrack. It's really cool. It's even cooler than than it than it sounds. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but um, we'll talk about the end of the drama regarding that weekend towards the end of this week's show. But uh, we have an absolutely heaped show for you. Obviously, a trifecta of, of main series races. Given F1 had the Hungarian Grand Prix, IndyCar at Mid-Ohio, and Formula E with the Montreal season finale doubleheader, and some big news as well coming out of the WEC for the second straight week because another factory is left. More on that soon. Oh, well, well it's it's only one factory is left, Dre. There were only two to begin with. Well, yeah, well, technically when you put it like that, yeah. Thanks for that, King. Can we, can we, can we edit that out too? No? <laughs> You can keep that one. Uh, but, uh, but um, yo, I mean, we've got to mention one thing. The first ever interview on Motorsport 101. Yes. Like, we've made, we've moved up in the world, you guys. We managed to snag two-time Indy 500 runner-up Carlos Munoz of AJ Foyt Racing. See, the, the thing is, we kind of joked about sending off an email to AJ Foyt Racing. Turns out King actually did it. And he actually said yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, all I'm saying is, thank God they don't listen to this show. <laughs> That's all I will say. But let's get some general housekeeping out of the way before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Places you can find us, we are at motorsport101.net on our website. 
And I find, you can find us on all sorts of social media. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, we are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'll follow us personally on Twitter, we are at Harrison101HD and at Ryan Eric King. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And that, if, if you back us at the $5 level, you get early access to both this show and to uh, Bike Live as well, which will be back with you later this week. I mean, you may have seen episode 23 already, which Speedway took over. Can you tell I wasn't directly involved in this one? Just, just, just a little bit. <laughs> Bex hijacked the show. Um, I, I was in the middle portion talking about BSB instead. But, she, um, she, she returned for a hostile takeover. <laughs> Yes, yes, she did. That's what Rebecca James does, everybody. She just hijacks my shit and then sticks a stiletto in my neck. Um, that'll keep him busy for a week. Um, it's going to be kind of a weird spot, though, because we haven't got... Like, there is not actually a major any case of racing this past weekend, really. We'll be probably be previewing Fruxton for the British Superbike Series, and, of course, MotoGP is back this weekend at Bruneau! Woo! No more summer break. It was painful, given how good the season's been. Anywho... Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show, and let's start with Formula One at the Hungarian Grand Prix. It was a tense Hungarian Grand Prix, I guess is, the, is, I guess is the right word to describe it, because, like, Hungary is Hungary. And as the form book suggested, it wasn't exactly known for overtakes this time round. And, you know, thrilling on-track action, it was a race of intensity. And uh, it says a lot about the state of this Grand Prix when Sebastian Vettel won brilliantly with a broken steering wheel throughout pretty much since like the opening like five or six laps of the Grand Prix but it's nowhere to be seen on Autosport's front page because there was a lot of itty bitty drama regarding this race that we got throughout basically um this one a lot that's worth talking about so let's get let's get the big one out of the way Seb wins woo Mosca, Mosca, la 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 hey, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's it's amazing. Like there was so much other stuff going on here. It's like it didn't feel like Seb had actually won the race. It was very weird, like that. And um, it's like you could almost, you could also like King. I don't know if you spot it's like you could see like Vettel holding Kimmy's hand on the podium. Like I'm so sorry, I upset you. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you're giving everybody who writes fan fiction like all the bad ideas right here. <laughs> it's like not not in front of the kids, Seb. <laughs> basically, um, so I thought that was quite funny. But um, I mean, yeah, we we saw it in the race itself. Seb has a broken steering wheel about five laps in. It was slightly off kilter. If anyone's ever played Race Driver Grid with a broken steering rack, we probably know the feeling. <laughs> Um, 
<laughs> so like, I just learned that Dre has never played a racing sim before because you can also break your steering in Sims. Well, I don't play Sims, do I? Like, <laughs> not even like once, like just show up at a racetrack and they have like a little Sims set up. No, never. Well, okay, I, play, I played like ten minutes of R Factor at Eurogamer three years ago. Does that count? <laughs> yes, that does count. That does count. But I was too good to, to break my steering. You see. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear um <laughs> to say, like yeah i'm not for, for the record anyone that knows my history on youtube i'm not a sim guy not even close um like that's because a lot of people still know me from my grid series so i, I had to make that reference <laughs> like the people that have played grid know exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> but um yeah Jeez, like, it, it played up throughout the entire race. I mean, Ferrari looked very fast on paper, especially in the first half of the race, but in the second half on the softer tyre, also the harder tyre, I should say, given it's, it was the softer tyre itself, it, you know, Merck's quite quickly reeled Ferrari in. But, King, what's Hungary's biggest problem? Um, it is, like, a series of constant low-speed corners, so you can't overtake anyone. Low speed corners, even with these these cars with more downforce and obviously greater cornering speed, well, just one problem. Dirty air up the arse, basically. Like, it looked like the dirty air effect was kicking in from anywhere from like one and a half seconds in, basically. And as a result, nobody could pass each other in the front four. Which led to poor old Kimi Raikkonen, who we could we could hear him on the radio pretty much all race long. Saying, guys, I'm just going to ruin my tyres, and you're not going to give me any unnecessary pressure for the sake of it. And, you know, Kimi had fair reason to complain. He was basically a sitting duck for, for, for the Mercedes, who never really could get close enough to find a way around him. But it's hard not to feel a little bit bad for Kimi Raikkonen on this one, right, King? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard not to feel bad for Kimi. Despite, you know, bashing Paul DiResto, but that's another story. <laughs> More on that later. But, um, like I said, it's... Okay, I feel a bit bad for Kimmy. Like, in a sense of, like... But for me, I think the overwhelming thing for me is this. I think Ferrari made the right decision not to switch their car. Because I think if you leave Vettel on his own against the Mercedes, then... Vettel probably doesn't finish in second. He probably finishes further down the field than that, and Ferrari get less points. I'm glad Ferrari clocked on quite early. Wait, if we just keep Vettel in front and just keep Raikkonen behind, like Bottas can't pass us. No, we got one, this, no one's gonna pass Kimi. No one's gonna pass Kimi. We can just stick it out and get an easy one-two here, <laughs> and that's what Ferrari realized quite quickly. And yeah, like, Raikkonen probably was the faster man in that context. But unfortunately, Ferrari, at least from where I'm sitting strategically, I think got it spot on and did the, I think in my eyes, the right thing. Kept Vettel in front and got a 1-2 finish and took 43 points home. So I guess if you're Ferrari, you got it right, even if it meant upsetting Kimi a little bit. But, I mean, King, I think they got it right. Don't What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think... We'll, we'll get to the other strategy call made, but it seems to be that this was a race of very unpopular right strategy choices. <laughs> yeah, seems that way. That, that, that definitely seems to be the pattern I've noticed. Um, 
going to the other side of the paddock here, and obviously going down the road to Mercedes. Now we saw something that we didn't, we don't normally see in F1 right now because normally this just just doesn't happen. Because you hear it on radio all the time. Oh yeah, move my teammate out of the way. Let me have a crack at him. Most teams don't normally say yes to this, um, but Mercs, Botas and Hamilton came to a gentleman's agreement. Um, Botas was running third, couldn't find a way around Kimi Raikkonen. When Lewis Hamilton, who had radio issues throughout the entire first half of the race, they got the radio working again. Um, Hamilton just let it. <laughs> I don't even heard the, the clip, King. It's like Hamilton was just letting it all off his chest. It's like. Yeah, man, I can't believe it. I've got pace. Let me unleash it. And, <laughs> and, you know, like, they wanted to see if Hamilton had a more pace than Val did. They were right, I guess. So they told Botas, could you move it over and give Hamilton a crack at it? And Val actually agreed. <laughs> like, oh, I was like, King, what's up with your man's? Uh, uh, first year of the team, only has one year contract. Gotta gotta be a team player. You have to be a team player in that situation. King, come get your mans. Nah, um, <laughs> <laughs> whose mans is this? I was like, oh my god, Val, what are you doing? No. <laughs> so yeah, Val, quote unquote, again did the right thing. Got out of the way. Let Lewis Hamilton through. They gave Hamilton a five lap clock. Like okay, like you got five laps to get past Kimi Raikkonen. And, and I love that Lewis said the radio. No pressure then in, in response, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, Lewis tried and tried and tried, got close on numerous occasions, couldn't quite get it done. They gave Lewis five more laps, still couldn't get it done. Um, they were like they like Hamilton was going to give up. Hamilton was like, no, I can't get him. Like you might as well give him back now. But by this point, there was about eight laps to go in the race. And they looked behind them on the radar and realized, uh-oh, Max Verstappen is catching Valtteri Bottas at a rate of knots. We can't really swap him around now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be tasty. <laughs> I was like, King, they're not going to do this, are they? They're not, not going to keep Hamilton in front. Like, like, I have every reason to be cynical over Mercedes on this one. <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton, the perennial team order breaker, may I point out. Do we do like, we not mention the 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 spat between him and Rosberg at Hungary? <laughs> yeah, at this very track three years ago, when Lewis Hamilton was was slower than his teammate Nico Rosberg on a more aggressive strategy, Lewis and I quote said, "I'm not going to slow down for Nico," and it ruined Nico's race as Daniel Ricciardo went on to win. Um, I remember that day. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I think people have forgotten this one very quickly that, yeah, Lewis Hamilton doesn't normally listen to team orders. But on this occasion, he actually did. So, yeah, funnily enough, round the final corner on the final lap, Lewis Hamilton runs it very, very slowly. Times it just right to let Val back through. Val takes the podium spot. Lewis finishes in fourth. And Max Verstappen in fifth. Hamilton actually, quote-unquote, again, did the right thing and let Val back through. Um, like, did you see Toto's reactions? Toto's reaction to this after the race, King? No, I didn't see his after-the-race reaction. Oh, like, you should have seen it. Like, like Val, like, like, like Toto, like, punched the desk. <laughs> what? I was, I, I don't know if it was, like, a victory, like, 
punching of the desk, whether it was a pissed off punch at the desk, I don't quite know, to be fair to you. Um, if you want to see it, check out WTF1's post, because they, they posted a, a YouTube video of, of the reaction itself. Let me see if I can dig it up real quick, and I, I, might, I might get King's live reaction to it. Give me a sec. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it was a very weird reaction. It was like, I, I, I couldn't quite tell whether it was positive or not, or negative. It was just... It's a weird one. Hang on, I'm going to post you a link in the Skype chat here, King, as we do this. Because, you know, we're professionals on here. We do, we do Skype and everything. Um, there it is, King. Have a look. Tell me how you feel about it. Okay. Because I'm watching it again, and I'm like, I'm not sure whether it's like he's had a bet with, with, with Nicky Lauder or something. It's, 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 I think it's more positive. It's like, it's like a F you at Nicky Lauder. It's like, it's... Yeah, like everyone's everyone around him is you know clapping. He clapped before he hit the desk. Like, yes. is he just gonna hit it? Just every like, just abuse the desk. Like, what did the desk ever do to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Like, like to be fair, I was every one of those memed people that um, or meme makers that were saying, "There's no way Lewis is gonna let him back through," and he did. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, good for Lewis. I'm glad he is a man of his word. This time. Um, <laughs> this but time. but I, 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 I like to... I, I would like to happily point out that anyone that believes Merck's his new stance of, yeah, teamwork, and yeah, like, we, our guys work together for a, something that was the grand scale of zero gain by having teamwork in there at all it's worth pointing out that this swap achieved nothing (laughs) but yeah teamwork king and remember as toto said king it's those team values that won them those free constructors titles not having one of the fastest cars f1 has ever seen no yeah it's because nico rosberg and lewis hamilton played together that's what it was king yeah they they worked together all those times like that one time in spa where they they worked together so hard they came together and that other time in spain that they the teamwork just the teamwork is just so magnetic that it just brings their two cars so close together (laughs) that they make contact Like King, the totally not salty Nico, former Nico Rosberg fan. Um, so yeah, like I think I, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think anyone that is out here saying that uh, back in Merck saying this was a great showcase of teamwork and team values can kiss my ass because I don't know what you're smoking. But Merck's has never been a case, has never been a case of teams coming together. It has always been about the fact that your two drivers don't really like each other anymore, <laughs> and the fact that they've hit each other on multiple times. And Total Wolf has had to throw both his men under the bus on numerous occasions to try and save face. But besides that, team values, everybody. Team values. <laughs> like, trust me, you don't know it, but Toto and that celebration was breathing a heavy sigh of relief. Because, trust me, if Lewis didn't let Valtteri Botas through and took those extra three points off him, I would have loved to have heard his, heard his explanation to the media. That would have been hilarious. Yeah. And what now, what, Val is 33 points back instead of being 35 points back? Like, he's still... He was still going to be an outside contender, no matter what. Pretty much. But Val's still on the outside looking in, really. And Seb's now 14 back in front again due to Hamilton's pretty bad day at the office, all things considered. 
Um, but yeah, no, shout out to Val. Finished ahead of Lewis, out qualified him again as well. It's like Val's almost like a really good driver or something. Um, but like I said, anyone out here that is claiming that Mercs is this great holier than thou team of teamwork and is drinking their Kool Aid on this. Wake up and smell the fucking coffee, because because it is not like that at all. So, like, and ask King; he'll tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been here since the start. Yeah, they've they've not been like this. Period. Like, moment Lewis Hamilton steps on the team, team's pretty much centered around him, despite what the internet says. <laughs> despite what the internet says. Are we all forgetting that they pretty much forced Michael Schumacher into a second retirement because they announced Hamilton before Schumacher even announced the retirement? Yeah, I mean, yeah. pretty much. They're like, hey, biggest free... I mean, was he even... Yeah, Lewis, Lewis's contract was going to be up, but it's pretty much they had to talk him into, yeah, we're going to have it like the championship winning car within two years. Get with our team right now, please. Yeah. And shoved the old man Michael, old man Schumacher out the door <laughs> to make that happen without even like Schumacher did, did, did like it's like he announces retirement a week after they announced Hamilton was joined and then it's like oh <laughs> because funny that because the original plan was Michael Schumacher was going to announce his retirement and they were also going to announce that his replacement was going to be Nico Hulkenberg who will you know get to later for other reasons. Once again, Nico Hulkenberg misses out on a top tier seat. <laughs> the story of the man's career. Uh, <laughs> more on that later. But you know, it was an intriguing race from the top four. It was tense. You know, it didn't. You know, it was a bit of an anticlimax towards the end, where we all just sat down and realised, wait, nope, this is not going to happen right here. Um, but you know, it was certainly better than the usual four out of ten Hungaro Ring snooze fest, which I guess is a plus. Yeah. So, other things got to point out because there was a lot of other little minor stories in here as well. First up, the Max Verstappen update. Um, Max Verstappen finally humbled. Um, we all like the, the, the let's say the turn on the slow heel turn of Max Verstappen pretty much started at this very Grand Prix last year. From all the dunking and diving he did with Kimi Raikkonen, remember that one where Kimi had a, his front wing broken? Well. <laughs> Let's just say Max went one better on this occasion, and on the opening lap, tried to dive bomb Daniel Ricciardo after Ricciardo had the momentum going into turn two. Verstappen locks up, loses control of the car, and smashes into Ricciardo's sideboard, breaking his radiator and putting him out of the race. Daniel Ricciardo was not amused. <laughs> In fact, I don't know if you saw the shot king after the race, but Ricciardo actually gave Verstappen the finger as he was driving past on the second out lap. Damn. I did not see that. Ricardo was pissed. Um, again, like again, you may have seen the post-race interview where he was talking to you know good mate Natalie Pinkham of his and other media's in the interview where he was like, you know, if, if you put this down to inexperience, and then Ricardo was like, inexperience is way too kind, no. <laughs> and it was like he called it immaturity. That's what that was, and yeah, like can't say you can't say you can blame Daniel Ricardo for that one because. Yeah, there, it, it it was banged to rights. Verstappen messed up. Stonewall penalty. Um, it was an accident. You can tell he just, he just made a genuine mistake. He just locked up into the apex of the corner and got it wrong. But sadly, there was another car around the outside. And Ricardo had nowhere to go and got collected, basically. And 
for the first time. I, I, I can't remember, King. Has Verstappen ever been investigated by the stewards before this round? Because I don't think he has. Uh, <laughs> not this year. Maybe last year. Maybe Japan last year, maybe? Yeah. Maybe. That might be the only other time I can think of. But Verstappen was investigated and dot, dot, dot. Drum roll. Dramatic pause. He was actually punished for this. <laughs> He was given a 10-second time penalty, and given, in the grand scheme of things, that Verstappen only finished six or so seconds off the actual win itself, it makes you wonder what could have been for Max Verstappen, given his pace was fantastic in the second half of the race. Oh, Max. Like, clearly that accident cost him big, because just losing that track position when splitting the Mercs up clearly cost him very dearly, King. Yeah, like, I think... Uh, I, I saw it mentioned during the race broadcast where it was almost like Verstappen was playing it like a video game where it's almost, you, you know that tactic that, that is always, you know, prominent in the F1 Codemasters games where you try to gain as many positions as possible during the opening laps and just, like, block the yeah. hell out of anyone who tries to overtake you. I, that was pretty much my entire F1 2013 Let's Play at this point when I was driving for Sauber. Yeah, no the feeling. Yeah, like, I, I think when Verstappen saw that he was being overtaken by, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, panicked a bit. Yeah, clearly. And, yeah, got it wrong and was penalized for it. For the first time, I think, in Verstappen's career, he got a driving standards penalty. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it clearly cost Verstappen dearly because I think he would have had a real shot at the win if it wasn't for the 10 seconds he had to face in the pit lane, which put him out behind the Mercedes. And given, again, the difficulty in being able to pass, Max was always going to be in trouble there, unfortunately, because, again, when they came out and Vettel was struggling, his, his and Verstappen's pace was pretty much identical. Verstappen went, I think, about 42 laps on the super soft tyre. That Red Bull genuinely looked, genuinely looked like it was more of a threat this weekend. Shame at Spa after the summer break. Could be a problem. Um, but, yeah, apparently that uh, since then, Ricardo and Verstappen have hugged and made up. They have cleared the air. Ricardo talked about it on Twitter a couple of hours ago saying they had a one-to-one -one conversation away from everybody else, the whole team and the media. They thrashed it out, and apparently they're best friends again. Hooray! For now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Max Verstappen, apparently humbled. Good, good for him. Maybe he'll learn something. Speaking of handbags, King, remember Nico Hulkenberg? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, apparently he apparently is now he has now started his uh, own war with the Haas team, and uh, we saw it at the start of the race. Um, Holkenberg on the inside at the start bumps into uh, Romain Grosjean, sends Grosjean airborne a little bit. Luckily, no damage on the car. Grosjean was able to continue. Um, it was put under investigation by the stewards. Deemed no further action. Hmm. Uh, interesting. <laughs> interesting decision from the stewards there. But uh, I remember distinctively on the radio, Kevin Magnussen saying in response, like, if he's, well, if it's going to be like that, we're going to have to get our elbows out today, basically. And uh, at the end of the race, King, Kevin Magnussen certainly got those elbows out, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he certainly got those elbows out. He, oh, God, the way that it, it, what had happened reminded me of it almost it's almost cliche where you have like this kid just you know in high school at his locker and then the bully approaches him and tries to you know press him that that reminded me of 
of Nico Hulkenberg approaching <laughs> approaching Kevin Magnuson in the, in the press pen. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, yeah, to, to describe the incident, because Magnuson did get a five-second time penalty for this. Like, Magnuson, like, Hulkenberg's got DRS on Magnuson. They're coming towards turn one. Magnuson very violently jeers right across the breaking zone, blocking off Hulkenberg. It holds the line through turn one. Now, for those of us that don't know, there is a DRS zone between turns one and two. Don't ask me why. Um, as, a, yeah, as a potential overtaking spot. Hulkenberg tries to go the long way around through turn two. Magnuson drifts off and off and off and pretty much runs Hulkenberg off the track. Um, Hulkenberg is livid. Magnuson gets a five-second time penalty for forcing any other driver off the track. Hulkenberg was understandably a bit peeved about that. Apparently, he had already had words with Magnussen in the garage after the race, and then they were both in the media pen. Hulkenberg comes up to to Magnussen and gives him a sarcastic tap on the shoulder and said, yeah, congratulations to you again, the most unsporting driver in the field. To which Magnussen turns around and responds, suck my balls, honey. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Magnussen. (laughs) Oh dear, I, I I don't even want to like know where that came from. Where what what like what Kevin Kevin Magnuson's personality is actually like for him to that that's his reaction. Well, he was already ticking off a lot of people when he said well, he he just straight straight up called the Halo shit during the Thursday press conference. It's like public perception on Magnuson has turned in this last week or so. Some people now love him for, t- for telling Hockenberg to suck his balls. Some people now hate him for it. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, for what it's worth, that was pretty funny. Um, I'll be the first guy to tell you that. I am all here for slander and sports fights. We'll drink to that on this podcast. We always have. And it's, a, it's a stance I thoroughly believe in. And let's be real here, Hulkenberg is a bully. Like, Gunther Steiner will be uh, the, Haas, the, the Haas team principal. I think he's absolutely right when he said Hulkenberg is a bully. He likes to go after people. That's what he does. He is, he's an intimidating sort of character. So, And Hulkenberg, if he's pressed him a second time after the race, he kind of walked into that one, really. Yeah. Um, um, but on the other hand, let's be real here. Magnuson drove like an asshole. Yeah, and he drove like a complete dick. Yeah, there is no way of 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 making this sound light. He drove like an asshole. No, no second, no questions asked. I'm stunned. He only got five seconds for it. Quite frankly, um, like he basically deliberately drove Hulkenberg off the road. Like, there is no question about it, in my opinion. I find it shocking that the Hulkenberg-Grosjean clash had no penalty. Verstappen got a 10-second time penalty for an accidental swipe on Daniel Ricciardo, which, yeah, put him out of the race. More That was more down to bad luck than anything else. But then Magnussen, who deliberately drives another man off the track, only gets five seconds. I find that mind-boggling. Um, stewards, please... Like, get it right, please, because I think that was definitely more than five seconds, at least in my opinion, because Magnussen... And the thing is, as well, as, as shout-out to a friend of the show, Sinan, who pointed this out on last night via video on Twitter. Like, Magnussen... This is not the first time K-Mag has done this. Like, he did it in Canada as well, that he said, and again, Hulkenberg was a victim in that, where he has swerved violently across the turn one at Canada... To, to, to block off Nick Hockenberg, forcing him to back off going through the fake turn one at Canada. 
um, on the home straight as well. So K-Man's got a reputation for this, which is probably why Hulkenberg was as salty as he was. Um, so, don't get me wrong, I think Hulkenberg had a right to be pissed, but at the same time, you kind of asked for it on that one when it came to walking up to uh, K-Mag and telling him again how sporting or unsporting he is or is not as a racing driver. I mean, King, what's your take on all this? <laughs> oh, again, I, we talked about it in our little pre-show where basically... The way that Kevin Magnuson is driving, it's, it, he's pretty much axing people to decide whether or not to have an accident with him. And when you do that, you're going to piss people off because, number one, they don't want their race to end. And they're not going to risk it trying to overtake you. Exactly. And it's the Ayrton Senna philosophy. It's, it's the I'm going to make you choose whether you want to have these accidents or not mentality. Martin Brundle was the first guy to point that out. Like, I remember that during the Top Gear segment on Ayrton Senna where it was Brundle that said, yeah, I'm going to make you choose whether you want to have these accidents or not. And that was back in his form of three days. Um, so, yeah, like, Magnuson's got the same sort of, like, I'm going to try and wreck you mentality here. It's like a back off or crash. And, yeah, you're right. That is only going to piss people off in the long run. Um, which is a shame, but, you know, it, it's... it's K-Mag was, is asking for it, but, uh, lol, between him and Hulkenberg yeah. <laughs> is all I can say in response. Lol. Handbags. Handbags at ten paces, um, as we say in the UK when it comes to some of these sorts of things. Shout out to Fernando Alonso King. Fernando Alonso, best result, I think, this season for McLaren. Sixth place. It was a very distant sixth place, in all fairness. He was almost a minute behind Max Verstappen's Red Bull over a 70-lap race. He was the last man on the racing lap. But, Nando, sixth place. Yeah, sixth. Was pretty comfortable. Yeah, that's, that's something to actually brag about. Instead of, you know, crawling to score a single or two points for ninth or tenth, this is, you know, a decent points haul. Yeah, sixth place, a chunky eight points there for the McLaren Honda team, which I think now puts them above Sauber in the Constructors' Championship as well. Um, so a very important eight points. So actually, to be fair, both McLarens in the points, because Stoffel van Dorn finished in 10th as well. So nine points McLaren bringing home for the team on that one. And, of course, Fernando just trolling everybody by setting the fastest lap of the race on the final lap. Because, of course, Fernando. <laughs> like, Fernando, like, he has become the court jester of Formula One, and I am here for it. Um, sets fastest laps, and, of course, there is a mural on the Park Ferme area of numerous F1 drivers, including Fernando Alonso in the places he would rather be meme in the deck chair. So, of course, Alonso whips out a deck chair, sits on said deck chair in front of his own image, and as a sign says, F1 wishes you a happy holiday. Fernando Alonso, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I was surprised that there were people who did not like that. Namely, Martin Brundle, ladies and gentlemen, who sadly was not in Hungary this weekend, still recovering from a viral ear infection he caught at Silverstone. Brundle went full old man out there when Brundle tweets out, Alonso, probably better than three guys on podium. Sad he's joking in a deck chair. Waste of talent and reminds team bosses why they don't want him. What? <laughs> Listen, we can talk... Uh, like I don't think you'll agree with me when I say this, King. We can talk about Fernando Alonso's crippling lack of foresight until the cows come home, right? Yes. We all know that Alonso has made some bad choices. The mistakes were made in the course of his career. Yes, that, and he has the political prowess of a puppy. 
Yes, he, he, he does that. And that's sadly that's probably going to be the thing that stops Alonso from being a, a truly greatest of the great level F1 driver. Dot, dot, dot. However, God forbid a guy <laughs> connects with the fans. Like, we, like, Jensen Button's retort was, I think, actually perfect. He said in response to Martin's tweet, Totally agree, Martin. How dare an F1 driver have a personality and bring fun to a sport that sometimes takes itself way too seriously? Face palm emoji. Uh, and I think <laughs> I, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but Brundle pretty much responds to JB saying that, oh no, he should be up there on the podium. But it's like, Brundle, why did you end it? It's like, why do this is why the team bosses don't like him. Exactly. It's like somebody like randomly who followed me on Twitter like tried to have a go at me by saying that uh, oh, it, it was a joke. It was taken way out of context. Just my response was well, 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 then why did he double down on it by saying in response? My point is JB is that Fernando is not a comedy act under a podium full of Ferrari and Merck's drivers. He deserves to be up there fighting for championships. Martin, if you're listening, we all agree. Fernando Alonso is a great driver. Nobody out here is arguing against this. We all think he's great. But Formula One has had a crippling issue over the last few years of drivers who just don't engage with fans. And, like, I remember when he retired in Canada. Like, what did Fernando Alonso do? He got into the crowd and mingled with the fans. Gave his merch away. Like, connected with people. Like... I will applaud Fernando Alonso for being the guy that connects more with fans in F1 than probably anybody else does right now. And he deserves to be applauded for that. Like, this is why Alonso is such a valuable asset in the context of Formula 1. Because he gets it. And there's nothing wrong in that, right? Have I I lost my mind, King? (laughs) there's, There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're winning, which Alonso isn't doing right now. That is, I guess, why people are upset. Well, my response to that would be, okay. Like, we we can all criticize Alonso for his lack of political awareness and lack of foresight. We get that. He shouldn't be criticized for trying to have a laugh. Because that's ultimately what this is. If this was any other driver, we would not be making the point about him deserving to be on the podium. It's because it's Fernando Alonso doing it and not, say, Stoffel Van Dorn doing it, which is why we're all having a laugh. Because Alonso has become a bit of a court jester figure because we know he's not winning. And, yeah, Alonso should be up there. Again, I don't think anybody is disputing that. And, like, we all know Alonso is one of the greatest. And he's a fantastic driver. I mean, we all know that. And, again, let's be real here. He probably captures a whole lot more fans by doing what he did at the Indy 500 and being in the mix all race long and basically getting a bunch of dudes into IndyCar for the first time. And that's fantastic. He is probably the most valuable asset in Formula 1 right now, not named Lewis. And that's not a bad thing. Of course, we'd all want Alonso to be in there fighting for the best, but the top two teams have made their bed. And Fernando Alonso, at least for where I'm sitting, has had at least a decade of his career king where he's had entire teams built around him. Yeah, he's had entire teams built around him. Unfortunately, it's those teams just have never been good enough. They've been... Close. Uh, yeah, they've been close. They've been so, so close. But he, 
he's still yet to get that third World Drivers Championship. Yeah, because as we all know in life, all good things come in freeze, and I think there is a big difference to how we perceive drivers that have two world titles or less, and guys who have three. It's only a 10-man club of guys who have three world championships or more, and Alonso's been trying to get on that door now for 11 years. <laughs> and um, that, that two-step is a very crowded place. You could be down there with Mika Hakkinen, you could be down there with, uh, I'm pretty sure Nicky Lauda only has two, or does he have three? Lauda has three. But yeah, two is... Eh. Yeah, two. <laughs> you might as well have one, unfortunately. Yeah, sadly, it's like... It was, you, you could throw a lot of guys who only had one world title in that club, like Kimi Raikkonen, for example, or even Jensen Button, or, you know, other guys who only had one major world title. Nigel Mansell, there's another one right there. He only had the one world title, but again, people love Nigel, and he was probably the most underappreciated driver of his era because even though, he... Even though Nigel does have a USP, a unique selling point, where he was the only driver ever to be... F1 champion and IndyCar champion at the same time. King, you're forgetting one important thing here. We're British. <laughs> we, we don't we don't acknowledge American stuff. <laughs> like we are arrogant when it comes to our own. Like, ah, of course, Formula One titles great. I don't talk about that American stuff. We only care about what he does here in Europe. Uh, you know. And that's how we perceive Nigel, even though, again, like, I friggin' love Nigel Mansell, and he had a tremendous friggin' career. Like, like I said it before, I think he's the most underappreciated driver of the last 25 or so years. But we don't talk about him because, well, we talk about him occasionally, but unfortunately, Lewis has become, like, numbers dude. So, but overall, for me, it's like... I have a newfound appreciation for Fernando for not taking himself so goddamn seriously, which is something that Formula One has always done. As long as I've been a fan from, like, I've been watching since 99, it's always been a sport of upturned noses and people being pompous, people being posh about it. And just not having fun and realizing, listen, F1 is about the friggin' fans, man. And it's about guys like us. And trust me, if I had a Sky F1 subscription right now, I'd have barked at Martin Brundle saying, listen, man, you don't get it. He's engaging with these... Like, Alonso is engaging the next generation of Formula 1 fan. The guys that are complaining that the old farts that, you know, want an F1 driver to act or do things in a certain way, where Fernando is... You know, if he's not going to win a title, he's out here to have a bit of fun. And I just don't understand why people are against fun so much. Like, we talked about it on Twitter with sports fights and whatnot, and it's the same deal here. It's like, why do you hate fun? I just I don't, I don't understand it, King. Like, why can't we have a bit more fun than F1? Like, what's wrong with the guy getting on the deck chair and having a laugh at his own expense? I thought us British guys love those kind of self-depreciation jokes. Ugh. <sighs> It makes me sad. It makes me sad. Yeah, uh, moving on a little bit. We, we we got a we got one other thing to point out here. Um, first of all, get well soon to Felipe Massa. He seems to have caught the same viral ear infection that Martin Brundle did at Silverstone. Apparently, according to Jenny Gavin, has about twelve or thirteen cases of it going throughout the paddock. So, um. King, we might not have a weekend in Spa by the time we get through the summer break. Yeah. Um, everybody's got ear infections. It's, um, it's, a, it's a long, it's a long, like, hospital bed strewn road for Anthony Davidson to return to Formula One. 
<laughs> he's got the tinfoil hat on as, 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 he, as, he, as, he, as he speaks. Um, geez, but um, <laughs> that's that's a fun one. But like Felipe Massa, he he was not feeling well, feeling dizzy through free practice too. How was it? Had it looked over over the night? Turns out that um, he was he, he tried to get through Saturday morning, felt worse through free practice free, pulled out of the weekend, and on basically 45 minutes notice, Paul the Rester, who was commentating for Sky over the weekend, fitted in for Martin Brundle, is now hopping in a car and driving in qualifying. And I have to say, King, like a salute to Paul the Rester, because I think he was very impressive here. Yeah, with like 45 minutes notice, not being in an actual race in years. Wow, to qualify 19th. Sorry, Marcus Erickson, but you look slow as heck. <laughs> yeah, because this is not a strong round for Williams in the first place, but the rest are qualified in 19th, actually out-qualified Marcus Erickson on merit, and was only point eight off Lance Stroll, who's had obviously way much, way more experience in the car and in this this era of hybrids in general compared to Paul the Rester. Paul had only had basically five or six laps of running and got faster and faster every lap and again by the end of it less than a second off Lance Stroll. A real shame that uh, he had to retire the car um, towards the end of Hungary but a truly professional job so well done Paul the Rester. Um, high fives all round from, from all of us watching back here. Great great job. Um, although he may have ticked off Kimi Raikkonen, who, <laughs> sadly, when the blue flags came for him earlier in, in the race, um, I think he was something along the lines of, he needs to stick to reporting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. I, I'm glad, like, I, I find it funny that, that Kimi knew it was Paul the wrestler in the car and, and knew he was a reporter for Sky Sports. I had no idea Kimi was that well in tuned to Sky Sports <laughs> F1 and who works for them. So, uh, hey, props to Kimi. What, what, what a guy. Clearly, he's, he's a fan of uh, Sky Sports F1. Who knew? <laughs> but, um, yeah. That'll just about do it from the Hungarian Grand Prix, pretty much. Like I said, not a total snooze fest, but um, a lot of the drama off the track. Not to do with the leading battle and a bunch of weird tactics. Who knew? We'll still take a quick break, and then we will come back to you with the Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. So, we had IndyCar at Mid-Ohio as we come towards the end of the IndyCar season. It doesn't feel like we've gone through so many rounds there already, but we've only got five to go now. Well, four if you now include this one now, being come and gone. But, uh, King, it, like for a guy that had only ever had the one top ten finish at Mid-Ohio, my God, did Joseph Newgarden completely dominate. <laughs> oh, dear. It was scary. It was scary. Mm-hmm. Like, it it was terrifying, and you know what's... You know what's even funnier about this? It's like... Well, not even funny, say, but like, what was scary? Like, King, did you see the movie put on Will Power to take the lead? Yeah, like, the entire broadcast was like, whoa! Stunning. <laughs> Stunning. Like, it was down the back straight. It's the, it's the easiest place to overtake at Mid-Ohio, and it's not a particularly big overtaking circuit in the first place. 
but down the back straight, like Powell's like holding his car roughly in the middle of the track. He's trying to force New Garden to go the long way around. New Garden fakes left and swerves right and then dives down the inside on Will Power to make the move. It is an absolutely stunning. Like I think you picked it up from Daniel Ricardo on that one because it is a brilliant fake to take the lead. And then after that, New Garden was gone. Um, nobody was able to touch him in clear air. And after that, New Garden pretty much led the rest of the way most of the time by several seconds. Are en route to like again becoming only the like the, he's only the first man this season to actually win three Grand Prix this season, which again says a lot about IndyCar's unpredictable nature. Yeah, that uh, New Garden is the first man to win three rounds this season. Nobody else has has has, has done that so far this year. And even more intriguingly, has now taken the lead of the championship. Um, Joseph New Garden leads the way now, King. Yeah, this is this is. <laughs> Looking very spicy, as as the, as the people on Twitter would say. Spicy indeed. I think this is the first time New Garden's ever led the championship, and um, he's now in, in a prime spot to take it. I mean, we have Pocono coming up next um, in three weeks' time, and New Garden has never finished lower than eighth at Pocono, as King pointed out before we went on the air. Yeah. Um, he tends to go very well at Pocono, so that could be another one where New Garden can surmount a real championship challenge for the first time in his career. I mean, yeah, he had an outside chance of winning it in 2015, but he was the sixth man in a, in a line of six, and he was like 80-odd points off the top, so it would have taken like a mathematical miracle for New Garden to win the title. But he, I, remember, I remember that race, King. He was in second place until his car caught fire in the pits. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, as you do, okay. <laughs> oh dear it's just it, it's oh man it's it, it is it is something else but man the new garden all of a sudden just completely dominates mid ohio takes the championship lead and steals everybody's lunch money in the process um because he finished that day ahead of Will Power again had another pole position it's his fifth pole of the season um, again, Will Power's raw speed, again, is just so paramount in IndyCar. His 49th career pole position, which now ties him for fourth on the all-time list. Um, sorry, Lewis, about that whole uh, not tying the pole record thing. Oh. <laughs> Wait till after the break. Um, but there was a lot of verbal noise after the race from both Will and um, third-place finisher Graham Rahal. Well, it's Graham Rahal. What did you expect? Um, talking about post-race and one guy playing Troll King. Ooh, one one guy, one indie car sibling. <laughs> our brother from another mother, our rookie entrant Esteban Gutierrez, who after the only there was only one caution in the race, and that was a. Ed Jones spin that brought out the uh, the only caution of the day in mid-Ohio. And after it all shook out off the pits, Esteban Gutierrez was just, just barely a lap down. He was second in the queue on the restart, separating New Garden and Power. And this was significant because New Garden had to run the black slower prime tyre on his final stint, whereas the three guys behind him, Power... Rahul and Simon Pagano were all sitting there, ready to go on a brand new set of sticker red tires, wanting to attack Joseph for the win 
and they couldn't do it because it's hard to pass at mid-Ohio, and Esteban Gutierrez was in the way, who was on low fuel and fairly new tyres as he was pitting off sequence. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> it's like, this was not the finish you were looking for, IndyCar. Um, but King, it, like, it, it brought into attention the good old case of blue flag rules and the nature of cautions and how safety cars shake out. Yes, because in IndyCar, blue flags are only advisory. So you don't, you're not obligated to move over for people you know who are faster than you or are on the lead lap when you're a lap down. Yeah, and again, uh, talking to the Indianapolis Star about this, um, Graham Rahal um, was very clear in, in pointing out his salt um, regarding the situation, saying like he wanted to have a, uh, he, he wanted to have like an in-depth conversation, apparently, with all of the IndyCar drivers, saying we have to improve our driving standards, man. Basically, he was trying to say to get Esteban Gutierrez the hell up out of the way, um, to which. I say bullshit, um, Graham. Uh, again, Will Power, again, I'm glad that Power spoke out and was a lot more reasonable about the whole situation, saying, well, it's not Esteban's fault, really. Um, it's the rule book. And we talked about this before we went in the air, King. I mean, if Esteban is in second, well, literally second on the road um, to New Garden, and, he, and again, he's on low fuel. Say Gutierrez passes Newgarden and is effectively back on the lead lap again. If there's another caution, Esteban's back in the running again. Yeah, there's no reason not to try. There's no... Like, if if you have, you know, even a 1% chance of gaining a position for points, you're going to take that chance. <laughs> of course. And again, like I said, he's got no obligation to move over for power, Rahal, or anybody of, of that of that ilk um so yeah i don't know why graham rahal well i know exactly why graham rahal was getting really salty about it because basically the rule book has screwed like power and rahal out of any real chance of going for the win but that's what indycar has always been like as long as i can remember at least it's always been a case of closed pit lanes you know blue flags being optional not mandatory and safety car shake-ups often cause inconsistencies like this one unfortunately and yeah of course if i'm power and rail i'm gonna be a little bit upset about that but king it's the rule book isn't it yes yeah, rules rules be the rules like we'd go back to other weekends where we have emma davies dixon complaining that they're throwing out a full course caution like that that's not a big piece of debris sod that <laughs> they're trying to screw my hubby over <laughs> but um yeah I, I could see why power and rail were a bit upset i can like i totally get it it was more just a case of bad luck more than anything else but isn't that basically indycar in a nutshell when it comes to cautions a matter of bad luck a lot of the time yes <laughs> because like i had a reason to be salty my boy james hinchcliffe was on a pair of black tires at the end of the race and had no push to pass left and was basically a sitting duck in 11th place when the caution came out mm. how do you think i felt <laughs> frustrated <laughs> to say the least um so it happens like again look at st petersburg earlier this season when hinchcliffe and power were the were the two guys at the front and then the late caution came out in the middle of the race for debris and hinch got nailed on it because he was leading the race comfortably when that caution came out so you know the way it shakes out sometimes you can be unlucky in indycar and that's, and that's just that's just the brakes my man unfortunately and that's how it can be um 
you've got to give one shout out to another guy as well. Like many jokes were made about this during the race broadcast, but um, King, did you know going in that Conor Daly had gone vegan? <laughs> I, I I knew, like I knew uh, either Saturday or Friday during during. I knew it was before qualifying. I saw a tweet about it, and I'm like, is this a joke? <laughs> Conor Daly, Captain America light himself, has ditched red meat and gone vegan. Um, I did not know this. I, I think I think Captain America light is very apt in this moment, because like apparently one of the reasons he did so was to lose weight. Yeah, he did. He wanted to lose weight, and apparently he has lost 24 pounds since switching to a vegan diet. Nine of those since Toronto just a fortnight ago. Um, so I have to say, well done, Connor, because that's a lot of weight. Holy cow. Um, no pun intended by saying holy cow. But um, <laughs> to lose that much weight, and hey, it proved dividends. Look at him, in the top ten for only the second time this season, and... If anyone's followed Connor Daly's season, it's been a season of completely wretched luck and team fuck-ups on many occasions. But I'm glad that Connor Daly had his moment to get in the top 10. A very, very strong result from him and the Foyt team. Um, so yeah, shout-out to Connor Daly. And uh, again, we, we are now calling him the hashtag SpeedVegan. Um, that's now a thing. So that's Daly's new nickname, Connor Speed Vegan Daily. Um, that's going to be our thing. We're going to make it a thing, King. <laughs> Gotta make it a thing. Yeah, we like we like giving out indie cars, uh, indie n- n- nicknames in IndyCar. So uh, we're going to go with that one. Unfortunately, um, in, in Daly's case, at least. Um, sorry about that, Connor. If you're listening, um, come on the show. We'll talk about it. Um, like King, shoot another shoot another email. <laughs> shoot another email. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Can we, can, we, can, we, can we get Connor on too, just just to round it off? Um, <laughs> like, funny, you mentioned Daly in 10th. One place in front of him, matching his, matching his car number, Scott Dixon, who has been universally described basically as the king of mid-Ohio, having won there five times prior. Just struggling, king. All weekend, just did not look fast out there. Yeah, like, I don't know if it was a setup issue or... Like, it most likely was a setup issue because his driving style, he's just perfect there. But I I think they just couldn't get the car dialed in this year. Yeah, it just seems that, again, this year it's just Dixon never really looked comfortable out there. He was in the wars pretty much all race long, scrapping with people and, you know, getting passed on and... Looking vulnerable out there. That's not something you'd never normally say about Dixon. He's normally rock solid. He's very hard to pass. He's a hard but fair racer. But Dixon just looking vulnerable. He was beaten up in the midfield pretty much all race long. And was way off the pace after the final caution flag came in as well. So Daly, um, so Daly just in 10th and only one position behind Scott Dixon. Which is a very, very weird thing. Am- amazingly, Emma wasn't really very salty about the whole thing. <laughs> it's uh, kind of hard to complain about something when you're just slow. Indeed. Um, taking over the salty mantle of the week in what I like to call the salty IndyCar Wives and Girlfriends series. <laughs> in this case, once again, Becky hunter Ray takes the honors, just like she whoa, did at Road whoa, America. Whoa, 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 uh, Why do you have to only preclude this to only wives and girlfriends? I'm pretty sure we can also count brothers and sisters, especially this weekend. Oh! <laughs> so, okay, who wins the award this week between, between Becky and Damien Power? It's clearly Damien Power. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Like, because, like, the, the nominees are Becky Hunter Ray for saying this was straight up lame to describe um, Hunter Ray being spun out by his teammate, Alexander Rossi, going down the back straight. And Rossi once again being unrepentant. Um,. <laughs> Um, regarding his actions afterwards, no apologies or anything like that. And again, was was, was probably a uh, a very frosty post race debrief regarding that. Um, changing the guard, Andretti there, King. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, <laughs> just just maybe. Given that Alex has been the guy for the last year and a half, and Ryan Hunter Ray has absolutely not been the guy. Um, Poor Becky talking about how fast her husband was in the latter period of the race, and yet nothing to speak of really. I mean, a an eighth place finish for Hunter Ray in the end, nothing particularly special on that one. But I think the winner this week goes to Will Power's not so salty brother Damien on this one, uh, who decided to celebrate the occasion of power finishing in second by shitting on Esteban Gutierrez from a great height. Um, I'll read out these three tweets in response. Um, it says, Wow, Esteban Gutierrez, where do you live, man? Just want to talk. <laughs> Which is what everybody says when they're about to fight you. Um, <laughs> no, I just want to talk to him. I just want to talk to him. Um, more tweets. Esteban Gutierrez, nice career move. Reminds me of the time I took acid and did a quote-unquote presentation to upper management. (laughs) And then finally, don't worry, Esteban. Willpower will return the favor by shitting in your helmet. Um, (laughs) Just (laughs) Damien was not happy. Someone needs to tell Damien, Damien Power to get a rule book basically, on this one. Sorry, Damien, your man's wasn't good enough really anyway, even in clear air. Just saying. <laughs> just, just what I'm pointing that out to you. Um, but, yeah, I think Damien Power wins the salty, like, the, the salty associate IndyCar driver of the race award winner thing. We'll go with that. Um, quick rundown of the results before we move on towards something very, very special coming up in just a minute. But uh, yeah, Joseph Newgarden winning by 5.1 seconds over Will Power in second. Graham Rahal in third. Simon Pagano in fourth in that little front chasing pack of him. Because Takuma Sato was there in fifth as the top Andretti. Um, Andretti 5, 6, and 8. Not so bad from them. Alex Rossi in sixth. Um, Helio Castroneves, a very quiet seventh place from him. Um, Ryan Hunter Spin in eighth place ahead of Strugglicious Dixon in ninth. Speed Vegan in tenth. The Mayor of Hinchtown in eleventh. Uh, Marco, right in the middle of the field in 12th place there, was in, was involved in the wars between him and James Hinchcliffe all race long, pretty much. Um, slightly above average Kimball, slightly below average in 13th. Michaela uh, Lotion, who was back in the series this weekend in 14th, ahead of Max Chilton. Tony Kanaan in 16th, J.R. Hildebrand in 17th. Sadly, our man Carlos Munoz was in 18th place, a lap off the pace. Sad times. Spencer Piggott in 19th, race never really got going, and then Esteban Gutierrez and Ed Jones in 20th and 21st place. And looking at the overall standings in the championship, it's getting very interesting now. Only 17 points cover the top four. It's another case of Scott Dixon versus the Penske's. I know, you're shocked. Joseph Newgarden now leads the championship on 453 points. He's seven points ahead of Helio Castroneves. Dixon, a further point back in. <coughs> Pardon me. 
Miss Knees there in, in third on 4.45. Simon Pagino only 17 off the top in four, with 4.36. Will Power still with the outside chance there on 4.01, 52 points away. Then it's Graham Rahal in sixth on 3.95. Takuma Sato in seventh with 3.81. Rossi on 3.58. There's a lightning storm in King's house, clearly. Yes. <laughs> um, as soon as I mentioned Rossi, Sarah Connors throws a lightning bolt in the house. Um... Tony Kanaan in ninth on 320. And James Hinchcliffe rounding off the top 10 on 316. So, again, IndyCar takes a small break now. Three weeks before we're back at Pocono on August the 20th, I believe that is. And, uh, yeah, just four races to go in the IndyCar season. Which leads us to something very special. For the first time ever on Motorsport 101, we have an interview. So... Uh, without further ado, we, we managed to sit down, just before mid-Ohio, we managed to sit down with Carlos Munoz, who was very gracious in giving us 15 minutes of his time, to talk about the new body kits, to talk about how his transition to Foyt has gone, racing on the junior uh, racing on the junior scenes in Europe, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm very honoured to say, here is our interview with Carlos Munoz. Pleasure to have you on the show, Carlos. First question I've got to ask you, being... A fellow, you know, 90s kid like us, because you know, the show is full of millennials and whatnot. Um, yeah. I, I have to ask, like, who, who, who was your inspirations growing up um, in terms of in terms of motorsport? And like, what, what made you want to get into motorsport itself? Um, you know, um, I think I came into motorsport not because of motivations of any driver. I think my, my my father they always like uh, the motorsport. And one day he asked me, "Hey, you want to do the a go kart school in Colombia and Bogota?" I said, "Yeah, why not?" So I started there. I love it. And, you know, I started racing, and of course, you know, my 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 really good example um, was Juan. You know, Juan Pablo Montoya when I was growing up, yeah. he was in Formula One, winning races, and now he. Uh, you know, uh, right now he's coming in the track to see me to say hi, but not right now. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, uh, so we'll see. Uh, he was one of the examples uh, for sure going up. Yeah, okay, thanks for that, Carlos. Yeah, just quick, we'll have one as well, quickly. Um, like you, uh, it's what's interesting because obviously a lot of this show is based in Europe, and you started a lot of your professional career in Europe. So, what made you want to um, change change like the young ladders between the Europe and then obviously going to America to take part in Indy Lights? Yeah, you know, I was racing in New York, and I think the Europe for sure is the school of all of the drivers. You know, I, I did I did go karts, I did go karts, uh, and then um, I did the go karts in Europe, in Italy. You know, I went to when I was thirteen. I say I went. Okay, let's, let's go, uh, you know, to try in Europe. So I went to live by myself there for like most of the time. And, uh, you know, I was growing up there in Europe in Formula Renault and Formula 3. And then, you know, my last year in Formula 3 was, was not the greatest, you know. And the next day was UP2 and it was a lot of budget, you know, to find and was really tough, you know. So, and then we said, yeah, after UK, you, maybe, maybe we can find budget for one year. But what happened then after that, you know, you have Formula One that the budget are 20 million and you need that big sponsor behind you. So, so it's okay, let's give a last chance and last try in American Indie Light. And if it works out, you know, you, you are an Indie driver. So right now, I think it worked pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so hopefully, you know, and I love the rest of the year, I think. I love all the atmosphere much better. Uh, 
um, the of the people, how the racing is so much different from their mentality, right? You know, here is more a friendly environment, but at the same time, on track, like, everyone is pushing each other to the limit, you know? Um, an IndyCar series for me is one of the toughest series right now. Mm. Like, everyone, yeah. like, like, it's so close from each other, all of them, for only one test to another, you know? And so one test uh, was in that circuit for teams, I think it was, and one test were from P9, you know? So it's so close, and two tests or three tests were from P5. So it's really close, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's been good so far on my, my American dream. Yeah, like, one thing I wanted to ask, like, about the series being so close, the you know, the drivers being so close to one another, you've been, like, extremely proficient at the super speedways. Like, yes, we, like, everyone knows that you've almost won the Indy 500 twice, but when you were back in lights, you, you won at Fontana twice, you won you won at Pocono, like, like, not to get into trade secrets, but, like, how are you so good at the super speedways? <laughs> Yeah, I know, you're right in the beginning, I always say when you have a good car, it's always much easier, it makes your, your life much easier, you know, like to learn and to pick uh, up speed. And we saw it with Fernando, he had a super good car, and, you know, progression was easier for everyone. Um, so I always had a great car, you know, but even though he also my teammates had one of the races, or one that beat them. Um, but, um, I know in the, my first test, you know, it was an indirect to Canada, I was the fastest. Uh, I know it's something that it clicked, you know, I think uh, I can learn uh, the car, I connect really well to the car, if it's the car doing something, uh, I think I know what to do, uh, line-wise or total-wise to help yeah. the car. Um, you know, this year was a little bit more tough for me than the 500, for sure. I didn't have to ask competitive car, but I think for what we got, the PK we did, it was the best we could have done. Yeah, completely, completely get you, Carlos. Like, where it, it really feels like when you really have the right car under you, you can almost do anything. Yeah, yeah, like it helps you. Nobody in the end of the day, whoever wins, it's also the best driver. Also, I had like four teammates in Andretti, and all of them were so quick, you know. But in the end of the oh, in the end of the day, it's a driver that makes the difference if you have the same same car yeah. as your teammate. Yeah, Carlos, I wanted to ask about regarding that. Obviously, like your entire time in America so far, you've been with the Andretti team, and obviously this is your first real big switch going from Andretti to Foyt. How, is, how has that been for you, acclimatizing to a new team and, and a new challenge? Yeah, for sure. I was in Andretti for, for, you know, when I first came to America in the last two years, and in IndyCar for three, so five years with the same team. Mm. You know, it, it was great. Uh, you know, it treated me really well. I was happy there. But, you know, racing is tough, finding um, mm-hmm. money um, for everyone, you know. There's lots of your sponsor life here, of course, Marco. Uh, Andre, Marco Andre is a big name on the sport, and, and, you know, so he, of course, he was a priority to, to find the sponsors. And, um, so, you know, so, so yeah, uh, maybe we, I, I could have the, the, the deal for only a few races, but, the Floyd, the Floyd, you know, I came along and he asked me, yeah, you, we wanted to do for, for this year. We, we want to make big changes. I, I know it's going to be hard, but we want to make big changes. So this year we started only the team from field, you know, all new engineers, Chevy yeah. package. Um, and if I'm honest, it's been a tough year for us, you know. Okay. Some races we have yeah. shown some good, some good speed, you know, like I think Long Beach, some pit, even I think yeah. was in the first corner with Trejo. 
uh, Texas, you know, um, it, it's not like it's not like we're so far off. It's just like IndyCar is so close, you know. Like it's like you say, you find four tenths, it's ten positions or or five positions, and it, it, it makes you look better, you know. Um, I think what what happened this year is like I think our our grip, our car is same same competitive than last year, but everyone got better, you know, like coin. They've hired two two engineers, really good engineers from KVM Sebastian, mm-hmm. and they have a really competitive car. Andretti, you know, like we were struggling the whole time the last past two years in street and road courses. They hired a guy from from Carpentier, the guy they hired a guy from Ganassi, and suddenly they are quite competitive now. Uh, you know, so everyone move up. You know, Penske, Penske, they always better. It's the same from Ganassi. You know, they shift around that. They nearly had to work a lot, so I think they work really hard in the preseason and um, and just everyone I think just improved a little bit and, and we still we stayed behind, you know. Uh also our preseason started a little bit late with the engineers we couldn't do any much wind tunnel or secret secretary secretary is when you try the dampers, we couldn't do any anything of that and teams spend a lot of days there. So you know from what we got I think we're doing a good job. Hopefully in those season um we can do a lot of more jobs uh, of those jobs and be uh, and take this next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, like, obviously, going into that, obviously with Chevy and whatnot, we obviously saw earlier this week the um, IndyCar revealed their new 2018 car and the new Aero kit. So, are you excited to get in the car and give them a spin? Like, what? How, how do you feel about them going in? <laughs> yeah, it looks, for sure it looks awesome, you know. And then of the year, I can say more or less what is going to be the car with the, with this heritage, you know, without the parts with more downforce. In the mm. bottom of the car, um, and for sure, when I tested, it's not it's not the same car, right? But it was kind of mentality is going to go with more bottom downforce in the car, and the car was more predictable, was nicer, and things that I help everyone for racing, uh, for the racing experience. Even now, it's really good. The the show we put on, we put on track. I think it's going to be even better next year. It, for sure, it looks great. The car, it, it oh, looks super fantastic. nice. It, it looks super, super nice. Really aggressive. Um, yeah, it I, reminds it, me of the, it, the, the cars it, from the 90s. Yeah, even when you see it in person, it looks really small compared to what we got now because there's no bumpers, there is no the winglet, you know. And yep. when, when you see it now, it looks even smaller. So, so we'll see for sure. It's going to be nice. Uh, I think everyone in the IndyCar was happy to be, again, everyone in the same hierarchy. Uh, now it's going to be about iron, about power, you know. So... The, the, the bad thing for the drivers is, like, I think we are not going to test it until, until next year to January, because I think the team doesn't get them until January, the first kit. Manufacturer does, but but there's so many drivers that can test it. So, yeah, that's the only downside, that like, you cannot try it in the January. Yep. Does it look, again, the, the, the cars look great, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. What, I know you're a busy man. I know you've got free practice to shoot off to in a second, but just one more question. As a guy that follows you on Instagram, I have to ask, what is it with you and Minions? <laughs> <laughs> I know you. Everything I'm with your girlfriend, I think makes her happy. <laughs> and, uh... No. <laughs> so, in other words, you've been yeah, a bit of a family like a man, basically, yeah? <laughs> yeah, so sometimes, you know, I always talk about racing, racing here, racing there. And she sacrificed, and sometimes I have to sacrifice. <laughs> I don't know. I know, you know, I like it. Yeah. I think it was a long time ago, it was Orlando, many years. So I said, yeah, to my girlfriend, one week, and I said, well, let's go. And 
you know, and just to make love, you know, we bought some minimum shirts and we went. It was fun. Carlos, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've been our very first interview on this podcast, and you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, and best of luck in Mid-Ohio this weekend. <laughs> thank you very much for your call time, and thank you very much. Bye-bye. And I'd just like to say as well, a very special thank you to AJ for your racing and, of course, Carlos for give, for gracing us with his time. Um, and a landmark moment for us, our first interview. Yay! It only took us 97 episodes. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the, for our first interview, if you don't count Bike Live. <laughs> We'll go with that. <laughs> we, 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 had them, we had them a bit more frequently on Bike Live, but who knew the PR teams for bikes were so much easier? Um, bless us. But uh, again, special thanks to Carlos for joining us on the show, and hopefully the first of many for us on Motorsport 101. Here's hoping. Cross your fingers and hope on that one. More, Hopefully more on that down the road. So, without further ado, let's move on, and let's get into, well, Bwemi Gate. Formula E and the Montreal season finale. Okay, I hear you're in Montreal. Ha- has Bremi tried to kill you yet? Whoa, 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 whoa. Not me. Uh, do I look like I drive a Formula E car? No. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, he was clearly in, like, such a state of rampage after race one. I don't think anybody within 100 miles of the track was safe. <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. It's like... Well, let's talk about race one, Sean. Let's talk about Buemi in general, because I think we've all seen it now on the internet that uh, Buemi's epic rant against half the Formula E field basically went viral very quickly. And it it was carnage for him, King. I mean, it, it, it pretty much was all over by the end of, like, free practice three on the Saturday without even knowing it at the time given he had a massive 120-mile-an-hour wreck with the... What, what did he call it? The boop, I think it was, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes, the double chicane, which has been lovingly referred to as the boop. God damn you, Lizzie. <laughs> For coming up with that one. Um, affectionately named the boop, of course. And Bwemi uh, absolutely destroyed his car, and it was a very touch-and-go rebuild for Buemi to get that second car up to scratch so it could race again dot 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 remember that it becomes important later um Buemi you know gets into the Super Bowl he doesn't get Super Bowl actually he struggled I think he had to start for I think from 13th or 14th in race yeah, one because he had to take a 10 place grid penalty for replacing his battery yeah, yeah. So he had he, he he made the Super Bowl. I think he qualified third overall, and then had to start from thirteenth because of the um, ten place battery replacement because of the damaged car from free practice. But bless him, he really did have a go at it. He fought his way through the field, got up to fourth, um, was in a real dogfight with uh, I think it was Stefan Sarazan for the last podium place on the final lap. Couldn't quite get it done, um, but. You know, I was like, oh, Bwemi, fourth place, okay, not bad, we got some points here, it's going to be a really thrilling 
Pratt's final race because Lucas Degrassi qualified on pole and would go on to win race one. So, you know, the perfect race one for Lucas. Remy has to fight to get any sort of decent points finish at all. Dot, dot, dot. Remember that car I was talking about earlier? Well, turns out it was underweight. Quite badly. Because apparently... The EDAMS team put an extra four kilos of ballast in the car just in case it was underweight because, again, they thought that they didn't have time to weigh it. So they thought, okay, just in case it's underweight, we'll add some ballast in there just to make sure still ended up underweight. And King, he was disqualified from the finish, and that was pretty much the end. (laughs) I mean, technically it wasn't the end because he still had a chance of winning the title on day two. But he would have had to had finish. He would have had to have won the race, and uh, Lucas Degrassi would have had to basically finish lower than seventh place. Pretty much, pretty much, and that was always going to be a mountain to climb for Sebastian, especially after the second qualifying session on the Sunday, where he locked up on his hot lap and didn't make the super pole. I think he qualified down. I think in something like thirteenth or fourteenth place. And, well, Puemi was in tears after that qualifying session. He knew. He knew the jig was up pretty much at that point. Um, it would have taken a, a miracle for Puemi to win the title from there after that one. And the even more cruel irony to this king is that after race one, and he had that epic verbal rant at the Costa and Robin Frins of the Andrettis. Robin, jokingly, I think, at the time said, well... Next time, I'll take out your rear wing. <laughs> um, turns out, Robin was more right than he realized in race two because Robin Friends drove into the back of Sebastian Wemmy on the turn one on the opening lap, and it forced Wemmy to have the black and orange flag to repair a damaged car. And that really, really was the end of Wemmy's hopes, slim hopes, of trying to recover the championship. And... <sighs> King, I think it's fair to say that this has been an apt reminder, pardon the pun, that racing drivers are human beings too. And Sebastian Wemmy was obviously all over the place emotionally this weekend. And I felt genuinely really bad for him on this one. It's because it's it's just felt like the whole thing was just insurmountable for Bermi. I mean, let's let's weigh it up for Bermi here. He didn't score a point in five out of the final six races Wait, in the championship. He I didn't think. score a point out of well, yeah, five out of the last six. Yeah, if you count race, no, he didn't score a point in the final race. So that'd be four. Yeah, that'd be yeah, five out of the last six. God damn. Yeah, because he finished eleventh in race two. So. Yeah, five out of the last six races he didn't score a point. He was disqualified in Berlin race one. He was disqualified in race one in in, in Montreal. And he didn't get to race at all in New York because Toyota blocked any chance of him being able to race that weekend. So through very little fault of Buemi's own, he had four either DNFs or DQs and it wasn't really his fault. That was more down to work circumstances and shoddy worksmanship from the team yeah because yeah if you don't know he got disqualified in race one berlin because he was running illegal tire pressures and obviously he got disqualified in race one montreal because his car was underweight like two situations that were largely not his fault 
Yeah, and to be fair to Seb, he beat. I mean, I think after it was all said and done in race two, he was very classy in defeat. Said he, he, he congratulated Lucas um, for, for for winning this title, and he, he gave everyone on the team and Edams a handshake and a thank you for all their hard work over the season. Because let's not forget, Edams did win the team title as well for the third straight season. Edams were the constructors' champions. Um, and yeah, again, another brilliant job from them to be able to bring it home the best team in the field. But I mean, King, you told me this stat before we went on the air. And Sebastian Buemi won six races this season. The rest of the field combined won six races. And I don't want to say Lucas Degrassi was undeserving, and I'm delighted that Lucas did win the championship because, like I said, he's been the greatest mascot for Formula E, I think, since its inception. He's always truly believed that Formula E was the future and that he is he has pushed this this nature of being the mascot for the series pretty much from day one. And he's been a great asset for the series in general and I'm glad he's got a title he can call his own for all his hard work but it does feel just a little bit cheaty doesn't it like like I think we both said before the air like it felt right but at the same time it just doesn't feel right because I think deep down we all know that Buemi and Edams were incredible this season yes and it basically went down to one day because Buemi went into race one in in Montreal up ten points. Like it was, mm. it was pretty much going to be a head to head showdown for the title. Like despite everything that Buemi did, it was going to be a head to head fight for the title. So it doesn't matter that he had six wins going into this weekend. You're pretty much level on points because like whoever won in Ber- whoever won in Montreal was going to be the champion leaving Montreal <laughs> yeah probably and it's it was brutal that Buemi had only had a 10 point lead going in given that uh, I mean Lucas didn't have the best weekend in New York it was fourth and fifth for him on that one and yeah like it, it wasn't a you know a per se it wasn't a dominant weekend Lucas didn't take full advantage of that weekend really um, or was given that Apt has been a top tier team pretty much since Formula E's inception as well and is more than capable of being able to win races but it says a lot when Buemi won five out of the first six and six overall and again nobody else really was close this season in terms of just overall pace and ability Buemi has been unbelievable this season and again through very little of his own doing his I mean, not even not only is he lost, he was twenty four points behind Lucas in the final standings. I mean, that is brutal. Um, it's a brutal look for Seb. And I've seen colleagues write articles in the last few days saying that Buemi shouldn't have done this and shouldn't have done that, and you shouldn't have been so angry. My response to that is, it's easy to forget that racing drivers are human beings too. And like any of us in life, sometimes emotions get the better of us. So writing out pieces saying 
you know, Bremi should have done this in private after the matter of fact it happened. No. Racing drivers are going to get pissed. Because people ha- get pissed. <laughs> because people get pissed when life screws them over, okay? Like, that is an okay... Like, it is okay to be mad when you get screwed in something, okay? Like, it happens, especially when it's not your fault. And that and Sebastian Bremi's pretty much entire second half of the season has not really been his fault, and for that alone, he's not been the champion. When on paper, he's been incredible. Like he's been incredible this season, and probably did deserve to win the title a little more than Lucas did this year. And again, it's not Lucas's fault. Again, you can only beat who they put in front of you at the end of the day. But yeah, like this, I said on Twitter after the race. I said. I said, let's Wemmy's weekend remind you all that racing drivers are human beings too, and whichever way you take that, you're probably right. And yeah, like I am not going to be the guy that's going to criticise Wemmy for being emotional about this because he saw his entire championship crumble right in front of his eyes, and the tears. And I mean, I think it's great that we have two front-running guys that are so passionate about Formula E and. Would you ever have guessed that two seasons ago? I mean, that we've have two legitimately fantastic drivers, one of them being a Red Bull, you know, victim of Red Bull's Driver Academy, another one the victim of Audi shutting down their, their LMP1 project, and they're here flying the flag for Formula E, promoting the series by taking jabs at each other and having a genuinely brilliant rivalry that has captivated the casual fan. And, you know, again... Wemmy's antics, you know, going viral. Like, it's only great for the series to have this. I don't get why people, again, are being so critical about fighting. (laughs) On the other side of the coin, I do love all the teams and the drivers that have embraced this. That, like, just the Twitter storm afterwards was hilarious. The the, the roasting of Wemmy's rants afterwards were just gold. Daniel Apps saying, I need to shower, I'm a dirty boy. Um... (laughs) Clearly, and you know, and like Andretti's like the Amen Andretti team completely roasting um, when we fire a series of creative gifts. And you know, DeCosta's like, Oh my god, he's coming towards me, scared cat gif. Um, just great stuff, and it was incredibly entertaining. And listen, this is only good for the series in the long run, like again. Bwemi gives a shit, and that I think is going to be something that is very valuable for Formula E going forward because, again. Like, the series, it's got some great drivers and some great talent in there. But it's also got a lot of guys that are part-timers. And again, we didn't have quite as bad a driver replacement issues we had last year. I mean, I think it was 33 or 34 different drivers take part in Season 1. Only 25 in Season 2. So we're getting better um, <laughs> for more consistent names. Dot, 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 for now. Given that City Season looks hectic. Um, but... Having two guys at the front, King, that give a shit and are, that clearly want this series to be successful. And, you know, Bremi's been so good since season one of Formula E, really, and as has Lucas. How was this, how was this anything but a good thing for the series? Uh, I don't know. Like, the series is on track and off track. It seems to be up and up and up and up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I've never seen such hype. For this, like, this was a more hyped finale for me than seasons one and two. And they already had drama in those seasons, too, given that season one had Nelson Piquet 
right at the front and then stealing it right at the end. And in season two, the time trial watched around the world. It's um, between, again, Lucas and Sebastian. Yeah, I um, think Nikki Shields mentioned on the broadcast that every championship so far has been decided on the last day. Yeah. That's that's incredible to have three seasons in, in a row go down to the wire. Um, so, yeah, again, nothing but but good things for the series going forward. And it's worth mentioning as well, a big shout-out to John Eric Verne, the man who has finished four times in second place this season, finally gets his first win in Formula E. Again, Verne's been another guy that's been great in Formula E pretty much ever since he debuted that time at Punta del Este, back in the Andretti days. And um, again, he's, he's, he's knocked on the door a lot this season, so I'm glad that, that Jev, as we like to passionately call him on this show, Jev has his first win, King. Oh my god, Yay. the crowd absolutely loved Jev getting his first win, because being in Montreal, like, oh yeah, French is the primary language here. Oh my god, everyone sung along to the French national anthem on the podium. <laughs> Indeed, and... And, you know, Jeff, if you've seen his Instagram, dedicating the win to his good friend Jules Bianchi, who, again, was on the podium with him the last time John Eric Verne ran a race back in 2011 in his professional career. Um, God, it's sad that that was six years ago now. But um, a, a very loving, a loving tribute to his to his friend Jules. So, again, a lovely win for John Eric Verne and for Tichita, the only non-manufacturer team in Formula E at this point. Um, so, uh yeah, let's have a look at what is the final championship standings in Formula E. Lucas Degrassi, the champion of Season 3, with 181 points in the end. The third different champion in Formula E history since its inception. Cool. Sebastian Buemi, 157 points in second. In the highly intense battle of the best of the rest, the winner, annual Formula E Rookie of the Year... <laughs> Yeah, that was a thing, apparently. The perennial rookie of the year in everything. Driver for hire himself, Felix Rosenfist. In third, overall narrowly beating Sam Bird into the fight for third. Um, by just five points in the end, Felix finishing second in race two compared to Sam Bird finishing fourth in that race. So, uh, Felix, by the way, he's going to be one to watch next season, for sure. Felix is Looking very, very strong. And Mahindra as a team in general. Has I mean, where, wherever Felix may be next season. Dot, dot, dot. Maybe. Dramatic pause. Um, Sam Bird in fourth. Overall 122 points. John Eric Verne almost stealing your girl at the end there in that Felix-Sam fight there. Only five points off the top with his win. And basically getting 45 out of a possible 56 points. Vern had a brilliant weekend, a yeah. win in the second place in Montreal. Um, so yeah, like Vern with that brilliant forty-five point weekend puts himself into fifth overall on one hundred and seventeen points. Nicolas Prost, who would, who would have a unique record of finishing every single race in the points this season until the last one where he didn't finish um, in, on ninety-three points in the end. Like it's, that would have been funny about Nicolas Prost would have finished every race this season, but not a single podium. Yeah, like he is. He is that solid, reliable number two driver that teams dream of having. Or basically just hiring Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> oh my god. It, uh, yeah, moving down the list a little bit, Nick Heinfeld in seventh, a guy that finished behind Nicolas Prost despite having four third places. Actually, five, actually, my bad. I miscounted. Five third places for Nick Heinfeld this season because Nick Heinfeld can never win. It's the rules. 
the racing gods have written it in the ninth commandment, King. Nick Heinfeld cannot win anymore. <laughs> sorry, it just can't happen. So, like, Nick, I'm really sorry, man. Seventh overall for him on 88 points. And there's a bit of a gap down to Daniel Abt, the court jester himself in eighth on 67. And then Jose Maria Lopez in ninth on 65 points. Nice race two podium for him as well. And then it's a really big gap to the stragglers. Stefan Sarazan on 36. Nelson Piquet. God, not a great season at all for next dev. Um, their man's 11th and 12th overall. PK just finished end of Oliver Turvey. Robin Frins in 13th overall. Um, with Mitch Evans for Jaguar in 14th. Loic Duval. Gasly, who only took part in two races all season long, is actually pretty far off the bottom of the list. Uh, with 18 points to 7th and his 4th there in New York. Uh, puts him 16th overall. Mara Engel on 16 again Jerome D'Ambrosio who um, apparently is the nicest man on earth if you ask certain um, photographers who were down there <clears throat> Lizzie <clears throat> in, in 18th on 13 points Tom Dillman who filled in half of through the season on 12 points Da Costa with 10 Adam Carroll with 5 Esteban Gutierrez who only took part in three races also with 5 points and Alex Lynn, who had three points for that one pole position that one time in New York. Uh, Mike Conway and McQueen Hard, the other two drivers that took part in the season and did not score. In the team's championship, as we mentioned, Edams did do enough to win the team's title for the third straight season. They, they With 268 points, they finished ahead of the, uh, the apt Scheffler Audi Sport team by 20. They on 248. Second place again for the Audi Sport team. They're going to be really mad about that. <laughs> Mahindra, third overall. Again, superb second half of the season for Mahindra to get up there into third place on 215 ahead of DS Virgin on 190. T to fifth overall. I think they'll gladly take that um, on 156. And then it's a massive gap back to next dev on 59. And in the Civil War of the Americas... M- MS Amlin Andretti win the battle with Faraday Future Dragon Racing by just a single point. 34 oh to 33. Um, so Amlin Andretti do beat out like uh, Dragon Racing despite a late last minute haul of two points from Mr. From Mr. D'Ambrosio towards the end, but not enough to, to win the Civil War of the Americas. Venturi in ninth overall on 30 points, and then Jaguar, sadly, bottom of the pile overall with 27. So, King, what have you heard regarding the possibility of a city season in Formula for season four? Because it looks like nobody really is tied down. No. As of right now, the only four confirmed contracts for next year are both drivers at Renault, Lucas Degrassi remaining at Audi, and uh, Jerome D'Ambrosio remaining a dragon. That is a weird set of good dudes to be tied. I imagine if Daniel App gets chopped, <laughs> given that like his name is on the team. Well, it certainly used to be. Um, yes. <laughs> like, sorry, Daniel. You know you've been very loyal to this team, and you've given us a lot of money. But bye. Um, we want one. We want our. We want one of our own guys in here. Clearly. Well, another one anyway. But. Um, I mean, King, did you hear anything spicy uh, digging around the Montreal paddock regarding anything to do with city season? Uh, not really. Not anything that isn't public by now. Like, that Robin Freens, like, might not be back at Andretti next year. That's kind of crazy, because, like, Robin was... Like, when the car was good, Robin was right up there. Yeah, like... Uh... Yeah, pretty much he was a contender. He was much better than, you know, previous seasons. 
Yeah, absolutely. But again, again, Amlin was not the team it was last season. Well, both them and the Andretti team, to be fair, were both pretty meh overall this season. As was De Costa, um, who again, like in better cars, has has shown real brilliance uh, at, at times. Again, remember that season two where the running story was pretty much like De Costa was punching well above his weight in a season one car, but then the car kept letting him down. Yes, <laughs> yes. Ugh. Bad time. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting. Like King, bad journalist, bad. Dig up more information. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mingle, mingle, get in there. <laughs> Ask awkward questions. Be full Robin Miller next time. Oh okay? my god, I don't want to get banned. Yeah. Although I, 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 did, I did apparently hear that um, like Robin Miller's got a restraining order against... Um, uh, I, like Michael Andretti's ordered a restraining order against Robin Miller. Oh uh, to talk about the possibility of a Chevy switch, which is, I thought was kind of funny. Um, but King, what did you make of Montreal overall and the formatory experience in general? Before we move on. It was fantastic. I hope this is the season finale for this series forever. The track is awesome. Like, the track, in terms of racing and atmosphere, is awesome. Yeah, it did did come off well on TV. I will absolutely say that. Well, depends on TV, because it was on friggin' Spike TV in the UK. Because Channel 5 does not give a shit about Formula E. I could rant about that for the next five minutes, but I will not. I will spare you the trouble, basically, on this one, but... Yeah, Channel 5's coverage of Formula E this season was half-hearted at best. And I will forever be mad at them for that because they just, they just didn't really give a shit. At least ITV, when they had the rights, they put it on channel. They put it on ITV4, which is a good channel. People do watch it for sports. It is a bit more of a dedicated sports channel. And then they had the season finale on ITV1, proper. Like, they were getting like almost 2 million viewers for the season finale, which is great. Um, on every TV in the country, but... Yeah, Channel 5 is on every TV, but then they put it on Spike, and then I think Race 1 was on friggin' Facebook, which is just unacceptable, given it's one of your biggest markets for Formula E, and yeah, Blech. But yeah, at least at least Montreal was great, and at least it looked great on TV. Please keep it. That'd be nice. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for Formula E, and Formula E is a season for season three. Um... It, 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 it was a thing. It happened. Um, it, it existed. Um, so that's cool. Um, gosh. So let's get into the news before we wrap it up here and get out of Dodge for this week. <laughs> Big one, King. And it kind of went under the radar a little bit given that uh, a certain other factory announced Formula E intentions about three days prior. But um, Porsche's done this WEC town, bruh. Yep, they're leaving WEC and they're opening shop up in Formula E for season six. And I mean, it, it wasn't under the radar if you were at the track itself because Porsche had like a tent set up. They had the the Porsche nine one nine there. They like, oh yeah, I saw your picture of that. Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah it like it wasn't under the radar if you were actually at the race. True, true, but. I think, I think generally speaking, on the internet, I think it didn't go down as big as I think Porsche were hoping for. Because I, um, I, I think people don't care as much about the WEC as the internet claims. Really? You mean like the series is basically a bunch of diehards making way too much noise? Never. <laughs> I've never said that about them before, King. Honest. I can't see it, but I've got like an upturned Dwayne Johnson-esque eyebrow being raised as we speak. Um, 
so yeah, Porsche, uh, like, there's no way of getting around it here, King. Like, I think it's fair to say LMP1 is dead. Long live Toyota. <laughs> yes, Toyota's the only team left, and it's pretty much, it's it's almost a certainty that Toyota will leave. Yeah, I think there. Is, I think you mentioned it before we went in the air, King. I think there's a clause in the contract that, that Toyota can pull out if they're the only manufacturer team. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Ugh, sad times. Um, it, it, it's a bummer, and I feel bad for Toyota because they were trying so hard to win stuff, and we all know that. Yeah, there's a WEC. Yes, there's a. It's like IndyCar. Yes, there's a series title, but I think. Everybody would rather win Le Mans than win the title. Um, it'd be like Indy Mini 500. Like, yeah, the I think it, it, it's far, far worse with the WEC, though. Yes, it's it, it's a. I think it's a much bigger problem in, in 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 wreck, so to speak. Because I mean, like, did anybody care that Porsche won the WEC title last year? No, no, no one. No, not 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 a soul. But people, but well, people hyped about the dramatic finish and Porsche winning in 24 hours. Of course they were. And again, this year, are we going to talk more about Porsche or Toyota winning the title or more about the fact that Jackie Chan almost won the in an NMP2? Like, again, same sort of deal here. It's a, it's 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 the problem where they, quote-unquote, regular season doesn't get the hype that a lot of the WEC's own diehard fans want it to have. Um, but... I mean, if we're going to have a little bit of a mini-post-mortem here about the hybrid era of the WEC I mean King I loved the cars I thought they were great I loved the hybrid power I loved I loved the speed they generated I loved some of the on track battles that we had on cars that had different power conversion units and whatnot. and I thought, I thought it made for some great racing sometimes but clearly I think they were just too expensive weren't they yeah it was just too ex- it was too expensive for like what they were getting. They were not getting much in return for raising the WEC. Yeah, and from what I could tell, at least, like when I, when Audi pulled out at the end of 20, 2015, um, I just don't think it, it went down. I don't think Le Mans came across the same way without Audi in it. I think that was the first Le Mans without Audi in like 19 years, and you could feel it, couldn't you? Yes. Yes. Like, because we we like we, we associate Audi Motorsport with with LMP1 with their prototypes over the over the last two decades now, pretty much. I, I still remember like playing Gran Turismo and just playing their R8 that was in two thousand and one on Gran Turismo four, and just an incredible. Like, I wasn't even like a, an endurance racing fan, but I got into it originally because of playing it on the video games, and the Audi were the kings. And without them, it just didn't feel the same. And I think it's been a slow death for the WEC's LMP1 class since then. And, well, this is the final nail in the coffin, really, having Porsche pull out, who, again, has been the team to beat the last three years, really. And they're now gone, and they're going to be in Formula E, which is much cheaper. And, you know, electricity and electric cars and all that fun stuff instead. And, I mean... You look at the factory outfit now for Formula E King. By the time we get to season six, we're gonna have what ten factory teams? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, like yeah, if you count Next Dev and like, like Next Dev and like Faraday Future and you know the smaller, you know the small specialty electric car companies. Pretty much, they're gonna be like ten factory teams. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, that's kind of nuts to say the least. Um, it is. It's 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 crazy. Just, uh, again, like just seeing the amount of teams wanting to be involved in this series. Somebody out of hand, Agar is looking really smug right now with all the news of all these all this manufacturer involvement in Formula E, which is probably exactly what he was aiming for, but. I mean, by the time we get to season six, we're going to have, again, nine, if not ten, factory teams in there. And, again, four German manufacturers now taking part in the series. Um, it's crazy. It is crazy, and it's probably only going to get bigger in time. Jeez. Um, yeah, like, what, two years ago we were talking about Audi versus Porsche at Le Mans. Now it's going to be, what, Audi versus Porsche on the streets of Montreal. <laughs> Yay! Like, it sounds great. And again, I'm, I'm glad that Formula E is, 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 is taking off from strength to strength, but I can't help but shake the fact that, you know, it's a shame that other series are being greatly compromised as a result. I mean, King, does this mean that, like, LMP2 might not just be, become, like, the new LMP1 next year and then LMP3 slots in? Maybe? Because what... Like, if you remember, like, there used to be GT1, and GT... Yeah. Like, there used to be GT1, GT2, and GT3. GT1 does not exist anymore, for a very good reason. It was too expensive, and none of the factory teams want it. So they made GT2, GTE. So we had GTE Pro and GTE AM. You keeping up with this at home, everybody? (laughs) So, So, yeah, as a result... Yeah, so it's all, it's all changed ever since, really. Yeah, GTE Pro is very successful because it's much cheaper than, you know, GT1 ever was. Right, right. But I think it just shows that there is a history of the ACO not knowing what the hell to do with the regulations. Yeah, so it's so like, where the hell do you go from here? I mean, I mean, a lot of guys that are fans of prototype racing have talked about the comparisons between that and IMSA, um, obviously, that you know, many would argue is putting on the better product right now with similar issues. We know with the DPIs being actively involved in that series, that's going to be growing next year with Penske taking part. I mean, so King, like, where's like, where do the lines cross on this one? Well, the ACO have been adamant since day one that they don't like the idea of DPIs. They don't like manufacturers basically modifying LMP2s, which is like seems like the smartest solution right now. Especially that, you know, Cadillac's involved in the DPI program right now. Uh Mazda's going to be involved as a factory program, as well as, you know, Acura with Penske. Yeah, so like as IMSA goes from strength to strength, we're now seeing more clashes by the looks of it. So that's gonna be interesting, to say the least. Um Gosh, like I'm not I'm not knowledgeable enough in this aspect to really give you a proper take on this. So, I mean, King, where do you see the landscape falling overall? I have no idea because the ACO are pretty much unpredictable. They can do whatever they want. Sounds reassuring. Uh, let's have fun with that, basically, everybody, and uh, let's see how that plays out in the long run. I, I think I think the keynote. I mean, the key thing to remember here, uh, Jost Racing, the the racing team that operated Audi's LMP1 program, yeah, they're the team that's going to be operating Mazda's DPI program. 
yeah oops um that's that's quite a switch um <laughs> um but uh, gosh it is all going to go a little bit crazy with that soon so yeah we'll have to wait and see how that plays out in the long run. but there was one like interesting little tip that the tech gravits was able to dig out um of Sergio Marchionne who was there at Hungary this weekend um and he talked to him about uh, about four minutes returning. Like, like you must have told, like the producer must have been screaming in Kravitz here, like he's way off script right now. Um, he's asking about formulary. Um, but he did ask, like, with the news of, you know, obviously with the obvious news of um, Mercedes and now Porsche wanting to be involved in the series. Now it's going to be a question of like, it does Ferrari want to be involved in in formulary? And I think the response king was on the lines of, well, maybe not them, but. Again, maybe in a, in a a part of the umbrella, maybe Alfa Romeo or Maserati could be in there one day. Yeah, it's it's most likely going to be uh, Maserati because Maserati are kind of aiming to be a rival to Tesla. Where I think twenty nineteen they they're aiming to no twenty twenty they're aiming to launch their first electric car. And yes, it, it's. Well, it, it's it's going to go into production in 2019. And basically by 2021, they want like half the cars that they sell to be electric. Yikes, that's a that's a big goal, isn't it? Uh, I mean, not really. It's basically we're only going to like half the cars we sell are going to be electric. <laughs> Whew. Jeez, that, that, that's going to be interesting. So, yeah, again, Sergio didn't deny it. He said, yeah, maybe someone under the Fiat Chrysler umbrella could. Not Fiat, not Ferrari themselves, but maybe someone like a Maserati or an Alpha. So, hey, you heard it here first, folks. Well done, Ted Kravitz. Good scoop. Um, <laughs> uh, even though he went way off kilter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, good one. One more bit of F1E's before we go, King. And... Um, there was rumours going around for a little while that the Sauber Honda partnership was dead on arrival, and they were right. Um, Sauber announcing, I think it was on the Thursday of this past week, that uh, their their partnership with Honda was no more. And it's they announced as well later in the weekend a multi-year extension, a partnership with Ferrari. And... Um, King on top of that as well, Sergio Marchionne coming out and saying he wanted to be a Ferrari junior team again. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they need somewhere to put their young drivers. Yeah, this was clearly becoming a problem with obviously the, the, the news and the hype regarding Charles Leclerc, who, by the way, is bloody friggin' fantastic in Formula 2. Um, just your average last to fourth performance in race one, as you do. Um, he's kind of good at the whole cast thing. Um... But yeah, again, Sauber announcing they're sticking with Ferrari for at least another few more years. And again, Sergio wanted to be a Ferrari junior team. And, you know, Ferrari have got two extremely talented young drivers in there with Antonio Giovinazzi and Charles Leclerc. Pretty much F1 ready at this point. And yeah, um, the problem is, King, is that there's a bit of a roadblock there. I mean, given that Pascal Verlein is Manisha's boy from the Mercedes days. And they have Marcus Ericsson, who, as we all know, is incredibly well-sponsored. Um, this could be a clashing point here, King. Yeah, I... Like, I don't think Verilain's going to be there next year. 
Ericsson probably will be there next year, but Verline won't. Yeah. I just... Oof. That was... That was ugly, um, to say the least. Um... Yeah, I feel sorry for Pascal, man. I really do. Like, Pascal has not had anything go his way since he got into F1. Like, labelled a prima donna, but always was a good... Always has been a great driver for him. Has made the most out of opportunity. Scored a point for Manor. One of only two men to, to have ever done that for him. Has gone to Sauber. Has led the team. Outclassed Marcus Ericsson pretty much all season long. Oh, probably losing your job. Because Ferrari... Sorry, Pascal. Um, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck on this one. It wasn't um, this like the same thing last year where it was where it was Ericsson and Felipe Nasr and like, oh, which one's gonna go? It, it's probably gonna be Ericsson. Nah, Nasr's the one going, even though he scored the points that you know helped get rid of Van. Sigh. It's 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 a it's a, it's a cruel world out there sometimes, King. It's a cruel world. It's a cruel world, uh, but Ericsson knows how to play this game. Yep, he's very good at that sort of shit, and that's why he's still here. Um, to make of that what you will. But uh, it is what it is, as they say. Um, but, you know, hopefully Sauber can bounce back soon. Hopefully it's not going to be last year's engines, because, you know, we've seen how teams that get the previous year's power units tend to get on, and it's not good. Nope. Um, though, like... Man, I'd, I'd take Giovinazzi and and Leclerc on a one team over Verline and Ericsson any day. Of course. And that's just the reality of F1, really. Rather a team, a healthy team, than a compromised one with better drivers. Because we all know how it's going to end. Um, but yeah, King, I think we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> we're under two hours as well. What are we, we going to talk about for the next 12 minutes? Whoa, whoa, we're, we're not under two hours, Ray. You, re- you realize that audio is going to be inserted into this. Shut up, King. <laughs> I forgot we only had a really big friggin' interview in here towards the end of the show. Um, yeah, that was that was my bad. My bad. Let's wrap this up before I embarrass myself again. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, you can find us one more time. YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And our personal Twitters at Harrison101HD and at Ryan Eric King. And if you really like us, you can back us on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And remember, if you back us at $5 a month, you get early access to both this show and to bike live every week. So, yeah. For me, Andre Harrison, and from Mr. Ryan King himself, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Sayonara. Bye. Sonobi's going to have one hell of an editing job on his hands. <laughs> this is 100% your fault. Yeah, I'll hold my hands up on this one. <laughs> oh, dear.